1: Hello and welcome to Conversations with the Voice of Reason. I'm your host, Benjamin Boyce, and today's conversant is Lindsay Shepard, who is a free speech advocate and an author and a graduate of universities. In 2017, she was embroiled in a hubbub at Laurier University where she played a two-minute clip from Canadian public television, which featured Jordan Peterson and another individual arguing, or at least having a discussion, about pronouns and the way you do with them. And she was teaching communications as a teaching assistant and thought that pronouns is a language or communication issue. She was pulled aside for that and grilled for upward 40 minutes by higher-ups in the Laurier University. I have a series on this debacle titled Exposé Laurier. It was the first story that I went into after my initial Evergreen reportage. So you can find that playlist down in the description if you are interested or need to bone up on the details of this case. But we do get into this case. Lindsay and I do. We also talk about her life then and now and the changes that she's undergone and her philosophy of life, so on and so forth. And her recently released book, Diversity and Exclusion, which is a further exploration of the incidents that made her what she is today. So without further ado, here is Lindsay Shepard. How many lawsuits can we not talk about that you're embroiled in?
0: It's still the same lawsuit and it's probably the same progress since we last talked. Just nothing. Okay. Yeah.
1: And this is with two individuals from your previous university or is it with the university itself?
0: Um, so the lawsuit is against all of them. So the university and Adria Joel, if you remember their names and then Rambucana and Pimlot. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, I think it actually might be on my end, the holdup on the lawsuits, like my lawyer. Um, because They're he... waiting for
1: you to get a driver's license.
0: <laughs> no, I think they're waiting for Jordan Peterson to get better, because he uh-huh. has that kind of conjunction lawsuit. Okay. Um, and then, you know, like, the university also has the third-party claim against me. So they're saying if Jordan Peterson was indeed defamed in the audio tape by Rambucana and Pimlot, then... I kind of defamed him because I publicized the tape. So that's what they're trying to say. Hmm. Um, So because there's kind of all of the lawsuits are interconnected, I think my lawyer is waiting for Jordan Peterson to get better.
1: Okay. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. That's fun. But you wrote a book. Yeah. How how difficult (laughs) was that to do?
0: Writing a book was really hard. And um so I actually so okay at, when I started writing it I was like a stay-at-home mom and I was watching my son in the day like typical 9 to 5 hours um and then I would write it at night I would write at night and then also with True North I was writing a column and doing a video every week so like Saturday I would do the video Sunday I would do the column Monday to Friday, watch my son, and at night, write the book. And then I was like, "It." I told my boss I'd have the book draft in by June 2020. And it was May 2020, and I was like, this is not <laughs> happening. Oh, no. Like, I, I just felt like all my mental energy was being used during the day. And by the time I was writing at night, I was exhausted. And so, um, I had to put my son in daycare, which was... Hmm. I put him in three day a week daycare because I just thought there was just this one day where I was like, there's no way this book is going to get done by June. It's just not going to happen. And I think a lot of parents had left their daycare spots because of COVID and they weren't putting their kid in daycare. Um, So I just like snapped up a spot really quickly, which I think is rare because wait lists are known to be long. Mm Um. And so I just got him in right away, finished up the book, I think a month late in July. And nice. um a couple months later, here we are. March 2021 it's
1: being released. March 20-
0: 2021.
1: So, which is over. So it got released.
0: It's released.
1: So it's on the on the shelves and in, in the Amazon. Amazon, yeah. Yeah. Is um, it banned yet?
0: It's not banned, although something interesting that happened was um, I was just looking up the title of my book, and I think my name, too, in Google, to see um, if it was starting to show up in search results yet. And on the sidebar, the right-hand sidebar, um, where they typically sometimes show ads, it was Nathan Rambukatna's book. Ooh. I was like, what? Mine did not, like, mine showed up in the text part with the search results. But then the picture of the book with the ad was Nathan Rambucana's book. I was like, Oh,
1: is it a academic book of his, or is it his experiences of, of being on the, uh, uh the barrel end of the alt-right?
0: It's an academic backlash. book. Okay. It was about like non-monogamy, his, um, research, one of his research interests, um, hmm. which, and you know what, it could be like harmless. It could just be that
1: word association, there's some
0: sort of, They knew that my book contained his name. Who knows?
1: You know, I think that in order to, uh, I mean, all of y'all were thrust into the spotlight and there was a magnificent amount of attention. Uh, The story broke at just the right time, culturally, and then probably just because of the news cycle, it just hit up. So I wouldn't fault any of you for... Using all of your all's name to get as much attention uh, towards your products to, uh, you know, sell your wares, but it might just be a AI thing.
0: Probably, probably an AI thing.
1: Yeah, what what is the content of the book? What what is it about? My book. Yeah.
0: Um, Non-monogamy. So it is.
1: Or no, about monogamy. You're the anti-Rubakana, aren't you?
0: Um, So it's a memoir about just kind of start to finish the Laurier controversy. Hmm. Um, And so I think for a lot of people who followed the story in the mainstream news, in the mainstream media, it was kind of, um, there's a, a disciplinary meeting and a secret recording. And then there was like the university who was kind of flubbing their response and then the university apologizes. And then, oh, it's like kind of over now. But as I document in the book, that wasn't it. There was so much more that happened after. And there was so much more happening behind the scenes. So I think it'll be interesting for people just who are interested in um, what's going on with media controversies. I talk about what it was like, like my interactions with journalists and media. Um yeah. Hmm. So, I, I start the book when I was applying to grad school. And I think the book kind of documents um, becoming disillusioned with an institution that you really revered. Because hmm. I I loved the university. And then I kind of realized how many problems it had. But at the end, I kind of come back to my feelings on that. So, at hmm. the end of the book. so
1: Was there a similar... Disillusionment with an ideology that you held to? Uh, like maybe uh, were you leftish, progressive or social democratish?
2: Um,
0: I don't know if I became disillusioned with that. Um, as I describe in the book, I considered myself like a default leftist. You know, just kind of that's the default for someone my age, I guess. Um, and I think the conclusion on that front is that I don't really apply a political label Hmm. at all to myself. Yeah. And I think that that probably, um, fits for a lot of people too.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. What about your relationship with, uh, I guess politics or politic culture, social media culture because you had a number of attributes that allowed you to capture and maintain attention and you you became the focus and i think you managed that phenomenally well but what did that teach you about kind of being uh thrust into the spotlight in that way and the way that twitter works and social media works and and that whole discourse works
0: I I talk about my relationship with Twitter in the book, too, and how it was very useful to me. I I was someone who, prior to the Laurier controversy, I had no social media. I had no public presence. Um, I had deleted my Facebook account many years prior to that. Uh, I just didn't like social media. But then I figured at some point, I need a way to respond to media articles. I need a way to get my voice out. Uh, without waiting for newspapers to call me, and um, so, yeah, I think I Twitter was really useful for that purpose for those for that year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think I've reverted back to my original position, which is a dislike for social media hmm. and uh, kind of being avoidant of it. I've thought about deleting my my Twitter account many times. I've come very close.
1: <laughs> Why do you not like it? Is it something that it does to you? Or is it something that it exposes you to? or?
0: Um, I guess it's just something about all of these. It's just like a clamor of voices trying to be heard. And a lot of the time I see it as just kind of a tool of like self-advancement. And you're not, I don't know what else you're advancing besides like trying to advance your own profile sometimes. I think there are honest, a lot of honest people on Twitter who are just trying to bring attention to issues. But then sometimes I just become a little disillusioned. I'm like, all of these people just trying to build their name, build their brand. Because I, I hate that kind of stuff, like building your brand.
2: Hmm. And
0: yeah. Hmm. And it's just sometimes it just feels kind of gross. Yeah. And so I just kind of need to get away.
1: Some really low resolution um criticism of you is that you're advancing yourself through the whole thing that this was an opportunity uh to you know be the cause celeb and uh while that's kind of vacuous criticism, what made you consider or what was the calculus of uh kind of being the story as opposed to shedding light on a problem, did you have to like watch yourself, uh, deal with that?
0: Um, but could I really be separated from the problem? Cause I was in the middle of it, you know? And I,
1: are you saying that like, you were the problem? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, yeah, so I don't know. A lot of, I, yeah, I've heard that that I'm just trying to get attention and all that. Um and people are always going to say that. So yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: What what about schooling then? Or what about higher education? Uh you said that you got disillusioned with the institution, presumably Laurier, but what do you think about the state of Canadian higher education and where it is, where it's headed.
0: And... That's what was nice about being at school at the time As you really could see everything going on. Now that I've graduated, I graduated in 2018. It's so hard to know what's going on. You need people who are there exposing what's going on. Yeah. Like leaked emails are good hmm. and stuff, but you need people who are, who are really there and willing to, willing to expose, um, And who's doing that right now? I don't know. In Canada. I mean, I know, okay, so I think universities right now have kind of been put on a back burner because of COVID and it's all online, um, which is unfortunate. If I was a student right now, I would absolutely be trying to organize a protest to get back in person. I I don't know how you could justify paying tuition to be going on online school. I know some people like it because they can live wherever like maybe an international student could be living in their home country but still attending school in Canada or whatever so maybe it's beneficial for some people but uh, yeah I guess like for example one of my jobs right now is I'm a fellow with the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms mm-hmm. and I'm their campus free speech fellow
2: mm-hmm.
0: and like it's like what do I do in my job right now with them because there's no talks going on that could be canceled there's no there are no clubs organizing anything right now. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So I think this issue right now has kind of been on the back burner. Do you think so?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and especially what happened on 2020 during 2020, specifically in June, July and August was that all that campus protest culture that both of us were caught up in, uh, unwittingly, um, me at the evergreen state college and you at laurier uh, all that spilled out into the streets and into the cities and uh, the young that youthful energy of let's burn down the streets and let's uh, let's stand up for justice uh, which are kind of intertwined but they are separate um mostly peaceful fights for justice have uh, kind of these agitators on the fringes but that was also happening that same kind of behavior was happening at colleges. It was happening at the Evergreen State College where there was this rise and fight for justice. And in the wake of what happened to you, there was a lot of protests um, at Laurier and there was a lot of unrest and this power dynamic that was uh, kind of dressed up in justice or uh, I guess around gender uh, what was happening. Um, and I think that both of us were involved in kind of a historical kind of moment in in a way that when people look back and are charting kind of the arc of things, I think Evergreen was a particular uh, display of, of a particular moment in time, and Laurier was as well. Uh, so what do you think, like, speaking to history right now, like, what, what was going on in higher ed in 2017? What did you see, and what did you... Expose.
0: Um, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, since I was in university, um, I don't. I don't think I experienced anything else. Uh, I first entered university in twenty twelve, so I can't remember anything other than kind of an activist philosophy. Okay. In almost every aspect of the university, mm-hmm. um, and I kind of dismissed it. I was I was probably one of those people who was, I would I would see posters talking about fat phobia and um, land acknowledgments. You know, like living on unceded territory, that kind of stuff, and I would just be like, <laughs> whatever, and then I would move on. Um, so it's not like I really got invested in these things. Um y- uh, yeah I was not invested in the c- the culture wars or anything but then in in 2017 when I went to grad school I think that took it to a new level was graduate school at the graduate level it it just seemed like the activist philosophy was was concentrated and uh I think I got kind of bewildered I was like what is going on here like I thought I was going to be around like super level headed smart people who are open-minded and this is just not it. And that's hmm. when I kind of started seeking out, um, you know, when I came across Jordan Peterson videos on YouTube and um, I, was, I was, you know, Googling things. My, my first foray into whatever this is, as I was Googling, like, why is my grad program so focused on postmodernism feminism? And from there I started reading articles about it. In publications that are still recognizable today, like ARIO. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because before I had never Googled those things. I w- I'd never f- felt that way. Uh, I thought that if you had complaints about what you're learning at university, like you're, you're just kind of anti-intellectual or whatever.
1: Hmm. Could you expand on what you mean by activist? Like what, what is the content of that or what is the orientation of that culture?
0: I guess I'm using that word to mean like actual, like rainbow center protests, like that kind of stuff, uh, where they, where they protest like hate as, as in being like anyone who questions gender pronouns, whatever, um, I'm using it to mean Hmm. just, I guess if you sum it up, what I found in my grad program was as long as you can connect anything back to like colonialism is bad and um, different sexualities are good and patriarchy is bad, Marx is good. As long as you can do that, you will ace your program. It was really that simple. Huh. Yeah.
1: And so no matter how convoluted or good the quality of your work connecting point A to point colonialism or any any, any given thing to this list of uh, tenets or this doctrine or maybe this dogma, it didn't matter how well you did. As long as you did that, you are good and you could advance.
0: Right. And to be honest, um, I've blocked out a lot of the memories of of grad school and stuff. And I was very resistant to writing this book about my experience. Um, I I did a YouTube video talking about how I tried to write a book that was um, objectively analyzing free speech, open inquiry, um, political correctness in Canada, in media, cultural institutions, and, and universities. That's the book I wanted to write because When I thought about writing a book about the Laurier controversy, I was like, oh my God, I do not want to look through all those old emails. I don't want to have to reread the news articles. I don't want to have to look over my interviews. Um, I really didn't want to do it. And at some point, I just, I did come to the conclusion that I have to talk about the Laurier controversy because I just found myself needing to reference it when I talked about other issues. And so, I had to just take a deep breath and look through my old Laurier email account, and it it was like I had to relive it. And you know what's nice about this book is I never have to do it again. I never have yeah. to read it. <laughs> and I never have to explain it again. That's another reason why I wrote the book, to be honest, is still people will ask me, like, oh, like, talk about the Laurier controversy. Like, what what happened? Like, I know a little bit, but tell me what happened. Yeah, And I kind of, like, seize up a bit. I'm like... No. (laughs) Yeah. Just read the book. Just read the book. I don't want to talk about
1: it. (laughs) You presented a very uh, hard-nosed, stoic... You projected a very hard-nosed, stoic uh, character onto the Internet when you're facing all this stuff, but it seems like it was pretty traumatic in a way, not to use a term that's overused.
0: Um, I think it's just, I think at the time I was not like traumatized or anything. I'm not traumatized, but I think just maybe just years of explaining it.
1: Mm, okay. Uh,
0: just bored of it. It's kind of like, like, make it stop, you know?
1: Okay. Yeah, totally.
0: And the book, the purpose for the book is like, now it's all in one place. And I feel great about okay. that. It feels yeah. great to have it all in one place. Everything explained. I don't feel like anything is missing anymore. Because, you know, when you're talking off the cuff in an interview, there's so much you forget. And later you're like, oh, I forgot a really important thing to say. But in a book, when you're mulling over this stuff for for years, it's like, I got everything I wanted to say out.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm almost at that with my evergreen story. I, I just have to do, I think, three more episodes and then I'm done. Uh, though I'll, I'll have to keep on talking about it because that's my expertise, as they say. Yeah. But with that out there, what are you going to, how do you, where do you go from there? Like what, what do you build on top of that? How did that position you uh, to have an expertise? Cause you, you went to grad school for communication right, or communications in a way.
0: Um. Well, my master's degree was actually cultural analysis and social theory. Oh, okay. But yeah, I was a TA in communication studies. Okay. Um, I don't think I had ever aspired to be a communications person. Um, I was kind of thinking I might apply to the Canadian Forces as a communication officer. This was all like before. This was when I was an undergrad. Yeah. Um, I might just try to get a government job. Uh, Now I would never do that, ever. And not like they'd ever give me a job, anyways, (laughs) but... um, Fair enough. But yeah, I also figured, um, yeah, you know, I'll apply to grad school. You know, academia seems. I think I'm a good fit for academia. I think I should pursue it. Um, but now, if I want to do, you know, I kind of still want to do a PhD, like in the future, like maybe in in fifteen years or something, <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, or ten years. But can I do it in Canada? I don't know. I don't. I don't think any school would take me
1: here. So. What kind of social theories, or what about all your expertise? Uh, You were the best communicator of the whole bunch, Uh, all the admin, all those uh, professors, so-called, and then all the other students that were, uh, you know, involved in that whole Laurier mess. You... I don't, there was some sort of intuitive understanding that you had uh, a mastery of attention and of communication. You were excellent at that. You you excelled, and I think that that made people even more mad at you uh, because uh, you know uh, there was there there was kind of this tone of envy that I saw in uh, some of your enemies because you were really good at this game and they were they thought that they were in the right position because they were on the side of justice and they had all these. Uh, um, You know, these beliefs that they thought that they were on the right side of history, so-called, but they ended up looking, uh, getting a lot of egg on their face. You excelled at communication, but also, like, how how do you understand these social theories or what do you think, uh, from from your actual degree, is useful for us in this current cultural moment, uh, COVID aside that you see is something that we need to grapple with and get a hold of uh, in order to steer society towards a, across the rocky shoals or through the coral reefs?
0: Well, in regards to communication strategies, I mean, Rambucana, Pimlot, Joel went on lo- lockdown. Yeah. Like, they, they closed all their social media accounts, and I think that was at the advice of their union. That's what one news article said. Um, and I just... I just can't imagine what that's like, to be embroiled in having your name in the news, nationally and internationally. And I understand that they didn't expect this, and I understand there are ethical implications to what I did. But if I found, like, let's say I was secretly recorded at some point in my life somewhere, I would, there's no way I would go silent. Like, I would Mm. absolutely need to address it and explain myself, and to not be able to do that or to not want to do that is quite baffling. Um, president McClatchy, the Wilfred Laurier president, she just had to, I guess, parrot whatever her communications team wrote for her. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that sucks. Um, I that's yeah. Um, okay, who else? The Rainbow Centre people, or the Rainbow Centre, as you call it, I remember. <laughs> um, they swear a lot, and. <laughs> They do. They do. (laughs) Actually, that's something my mom, my mom, like watched um, the full Rainbow Center rally, like the Trans Solidarity rally, and she just pointed out to me how much they swore, and, and she was like, she told me it makes you look so much better by comparison because you never use that kind of way of speaking. Mm -hmm. I do swear in my personal life, but I was if I wouldn't swear like. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, Get off the damn counter! I'm talking to your kid. Uh, okay. the <laughs> um. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I just and I also think maybe I'm just not a hateful hmm. person. Like I remember actually during like the middle of the controversy, someone was trying to, you know, relate to me. And they called, like, the trans people trannies. And I was, like, I was, like, kind of, like, oh, hmm. like, I don't call them, I don't call them that. Like, I just, I, like, something about that is, like, a little bit, like, eh. like I'm not really sure hmm. if that's conveying, like, respect.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Not that everyone deserves respect, but... It's not. Well, on
1: an individual, in, by individual basis. You can call somebody, well, I don't we get into language. You can call somebody a jerk, uh, but to disparage them because of their identity in some way conflates them actually being a jerk as opposed to these people being different or weird. Uh, these people, those people, those othering stuff. So it is poor communication, I think. Plus it gets you stained with... Uh, bigotry uh, connotations that you then have to work off in one way or another.
0: And what's interesting about this kind of stuff is once you're no longer the target of the protest or the mob, or once they no longer focus on you and you've, you've kind of, they're not putting out statements about you anymore or whatever, you kind of go your separate ways and you like those issues are very much less in your focus. In your field of vision, I should say. Mm. Um, So I think for a lot of people, when you're directly confronting the the trans activists or whoever, you know, that can be like everything you talk about. And you're talking about it frequently because you're kind of the target and you guys are in the middle of a fight. Hmm. Um, But once that kind of dissolves, you kind of like forget about them.
1: Hmm. Well, it, it's interesting. Um, you, what happened at Laurier um, was very helpful for me because I'd been studying evergreen and trying to make sense of what I saw at evergreen. And I spent six months focused solely on that. And then Laurier happened, and it was an opportunity for me to use, uh, to see if, if my analysis of evergreen traveled outside of evergreen. So it was very useful for me, uh, specifically. But what that opened me up to was the conversations around gender and sexuality and transition. And that pushed me towards investigating that in the way that I thought would be uh, ethical, which would be to do it all based on interviews with all these different people. And kind of not, I shouldn't say this out loud, but not Talk to the people who want to shut down discourse, and not really platform the authoritarians and the totalitarians. Give the the people who are open to uh, free expression uh, the mic for a while. Your involvement with that the topic of gender and transition wasn't your. Fo- it didn't seem to me to be your focus. Your focus was about free speech and core liberal values. So it was just that the. Rainbow Santre was acting in an illiberal way of policing discourse and and over overreacting to uh, dissenting views or just alternate views. Uh, you were talking about their behavior and not the the topic um, of gender or transition or sexuality or anything like that um, so it, you kind of went in you were involved in a completely different way. Uh, and then I, you opened, your story opened me up to trying to help that conversation by giving it actual conversation rather than taking it, taking the mic out of the hand of the activist, uh, so we can have adult conversations.
0: That was one of the reasons I played the TVO clip of, you know, Dr. Jordan Peterson on that panel with, you know, Nicholas Matt, Dr. Nicholas Matt, who's a transgender studies scholar um, on public television, having that panel, is because I thought, oh, I wonder what my students will think about this, because I don't really have any strong feelings. And I didn't. I just was kind of like, oh, let's hear what other people have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say I learned a lot more about transgenderism over those years, Um one thing I say in the book is that if you had come up to me in early 2017 and said, uh, "Do you think that trans women are women?" I probably would have been like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> but now, like I would say, no. Hmm. And I, I'm grateful to have been exposed in in a different way, you know, by by people like gender critical feminists who and and like detransitioners who are talking about that stuff. Um, although there was one moment that kind of thinking back kind of woke me up. So do you ever watch the show Survivor?
1: Uh, is that the one with the island and the people with the torn clothes on it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Torn clothes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're falling apart.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I, I loved Survivor. It was my like favorite show. And in, in, I think it was May, 2017, they had an episode where, uh, one of the gay contestants outed one of the trans contestants during, like, a tribal council where you you talk about it before you vote people out, and and I remember thinking, and it was this big outrage. The gay contestant he lost his job, like, in real life, um, for outing the trans contestant on TV. He all he said was he he did suggest that the trans person was being, who's named Zeke. I think it was Jeff and Zeke. Zeke was the trans person. He suggested that Zeke was deceiving people by not um, being honest about it, which maybe wasn't the right way to say that. But
2: mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I mean, do you deserve to lose your job? No. I think he was also very apologetic. I think I remember that he might have cried. Um and I remember thinking, I was outraged at the time, actually. So maybe that was like kind of an original red pill or something. But I remember thinking...
1: You were outraged at, at, uh, at Jeff's treatment? Jeff or
0: losing his job and okay, the way yeah. he was treated. All because he said this person is trans. Because I thought, obviously, the producers of Survivor knew that this person was trans. And if they really wanted to protect that, they would have cut out that segment and they would have refilmed it.
1: No, no, you but know instead- it's reality reality TV. They're they're pushing for that. They want that. That's what gets the ratings.
0: Yeah, and so I just I remember being so mad that yeah how Jeff was treated because of that. Not and that was kind of my only um, the only thing that I thought of, about trans people by then, or like my only encounter with maybe like shutting down people who I don't know, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, cancel culture and in its yeah. infancy. Yeah, your your topic um, or the topic that you were, I th- I think of. What you were involved in was a, a particular moment in in the tra- trajectory of uh, public conversation and you were at the free speech moment the conversation kind of has moved on because we're tired of talking about that anymore but <clears throat> what are your thoughts on like what, what's your issue if you had an issue um, and I guess you have to have many but how has your issue developed from where it was in 2017 to to the stuff that you think is foundational right now? I guess it's still free speech insofar as that's part of your job.
0: So I had always been interested in free speech, but not from this angle of, you know, rights and, um, you know, the, the second amendment in the States and the charter of rights in Canada, like I'd never thought about it. First amendment.
1: Second one is the pew pew, uh,
0: Oh, sorry. Know. Oh, that's
1: so okay. It's okay.
0: The First Amendment? Did you say? The that? First
1: Amendment is free speech. Second oh. one is free guns. Yeah.
0: Oh, I don't want to look dumb. <laughs> okay, <laughs> whatever. Nothing I can do. It's um,
1: fine. I, I call center centre, so uh, we're even.
0: Um, but I had never thought about it through that lens. So, I was always thinking about free speech, but in the sense of why don't people want to talk about anything interesting? That's something I I thought for many years was so many mm. people seem to be afraid to talk about anything deeper than, you know, the weather and, and things to consume, experiences to consume, TV shows. And I, I remember feeling many times that, like, who who can I meet that's on a deeper level? Because the people I'm meeting right now are just, they don't want to engage on a deeper level. So mm. that's kind of the way I had thought about it. And I still feel that way. Uh, I find it hard to to be around people who don't engage with the human experience on a deeper level. Mm. I find it strange. And I wonder what's going on in their head. And I don't mean that in a condescending way. I just mean, you know, those people you meet who it just seems like really all their interests are Instagram and TV and I guess maybe going to Mexico once a year or something. And then they just go to their job. It's like, oh.
1: Well, how do you how do you personally get to that deeper level? Like, what is your tact? Psychology, uh, philosophy, uh, sociology? Like, what are the tools that you find most interesting to get the conversation to go from surface to those different depths?
0: Um, I would say that ever since the Laurier controversy, I don't try to get on a deeper level with people unless I know from the beginning that, they are someone who's okay with being non-politically correct. I don't even try anymore um, because I just, yeah, I just, um, Hmm. I guess I'm afraid.
1: Is it that they'll freak out? Okay. Um, Is it fear or just like not wanting to have to deal with that? (laughs) Um, It's too expensive, too taxing.
0: suppose like sometimes I will try to talk to people who are overtly leftists and it's interesting because they'll assume Mm. that you are the same a lot of the time. So like so in the summer of 2019 I worked for this I worked like this very low level summer job um and it was like it had an environmental angle to it. It was like working with bikes like like biking, yeah. uh, as a way of like active transportation,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and so I think people think that when you're involved in the environmental movement in some way, you're you're definitely a leftist, and so they're they're just very open in assuming that that people would bash um, Christianity openly. And I remember thinking, like, what if I was a Christian? Like, you guys are being so mean. But um, yeah, they'll they'll just talk about how. I don't know just how we need there's this politician named Jagmeet Singh in Canada and he's the leader of like kind of the third party and he's a Sikh man and you know they'll just say things like yeah we need him to be prime minister because we don't need another white man it's kind of and it's it's, it comes from a white man but
2: um, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and when somebody says that It's at one point. Would have you? uh, Would you have engaged in that? And at another, and now you would just say, "That's the end. I'm not. I'm not dealing with this person." If that's how you think, that's how you think, and I know how it plays out.
0: Okay, the experience that kind of turned me off of, of being of like truly expressing myself is, I was talking to one of these people at, at the bike job. And he's like, how do you define yourself politically? Like, just kind of out of the blue, he asked me, how do you define yourself politically? And I said, like, I was not showing all my cards or whatever, right? I was I was like, um, on some issues, I'm more left. And on some issues, I'm probably more right. And I could feel him, like, his body stiffened. And he was like, on what issues are, are you more right? And I was like, um... Yeah, maybe education, and I was just trying to drop it. I didn't want to go into it because, like, I felt, you know, like when you feel an emotional charge in the air. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I don't, and I don't want to get fired. I was worried about getting fired, even though it was a very low level job that I didn't really need. But um, yeah, he was like, I was like, I don't really think that kids, and he he kept pushing, right? So he said, "What do you mean, education?" And I said, "Well, for example, I don't think." Um, Six-year-olds should be taught about about sex toys and anal sex, and he was like, "Oh, well, yeah, I, I guess." And and then I just I I think I just said I need to go to the washroom and I walked away or something. But
1: <laughs> I need to go wash my mouth out with soap for saying that. I'll be back later.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Hmm. <laughs> so that that's in your culture, and you you've walked away from social media, which could, have, could be, maybe is a bridge to people who are open to uh, deeper levels of discourse. Uh, are you, it, it sounds like you're saying you're kind of siloing yourself off because uh, your culture that you're going to interact with, the people in your day-to-day life, being outside of Vancouver, Washington, or not Washington, uh, Canada, you, you kind of know like, the, the prevailing ideology and all the triggers that that, and all the eggshells out there. Um, where do you go for depth and deepness?
0: Uh, my family, and yeah, the like YouTube, um, mm-hmm. some of my friends. Yeah, I I would like to meet more people who are you know, non-politically correct thinkers. But you kind of... You'd have to test the waters.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And sometimes I do test the waters. Um, You know, like, you can kind of ask... Oh, you know, what what do you think of this vaccine stuff right now? Are you going to get it? (laughs) Just, just like, harmless questions. I do that to, like, my hairdresser or, like, Uber drivers. I just kind of, like, test the waters. (laughs) Say, oh, like... This, this, it's been a year of COVID stuff. Isn't this so crazy? You know, I sometimes I wonder do masks really work? Yeah, you know, it's a good way to just see, it's just to gauge what people are thinking out there. Yeah. That's something your, I do.
1: Your microphone got shifted. Oh. Is okay. that better? There we go. I, I like okay. the richness of uh, okay. direct audio. Yeah. You said YouTube. So that is technically social media, but there's something else about that form that you like. What do you get out of that? And what do you do with that? Um, how's that going for you? Because you started a channel a couple years yeah. ago.
0: Yeah, I guess I mean, right now, I guess I mean more listening on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I consider YouTube kind of, like um, at least the long form like conversations I consider it just kind of like eavesdropping you know just kind of like listening in on on interesting people speaking because I remember when I would take the bus often in like a few years ago and like let's say I didn't bring a book or my phone was dead I'd just be wishing that someone would have an interesting conversation I could eavesdrop on. But it never happened, and I was always disappointed. Mm. And they would never talk about anything I wanted to listen to. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel kind of uh, spoiled by, um, I guess, this job that I do right now, and uh, other social media, because I, I get to assemble and connect with very uh, smart people that you know may or may not exist around me. Um, because you you have to kind of check out the waters and cafe culture and bar culture uh, well, bars are too loud for the kind of conversations I like and the cafes are uh, they don't have that rich intellectual thing going on and I I just feel so lucky that I get to do this and that this stuff is out there because I can be a part of a cool kids club or deep thought club in a way yeah who are your um intellectual crushes? And we can take out the romant, uh romantic uh connotation of that, but who's who's your uh who's your faves in the uh tacosphere?
0: Um why is it a oh tacosphere, okay. Yeah.
1: The chatterverse? Yeah.
0: Okay. Um so really want to divulge
1: oh okay okay that's fine yeah okay we don't need to go there okay who's somebody that you think that more people uh should listen to then can we do you have anybody that you recommend people to check out more of
0: so the thing is like one of my friends i guess she i would call her my friend um robin riley she said right now youtube is a graveyard she said that on Twitter and I remember thinking it's true. YouTube is a bit of a graveyard right now. Hmm. In a lot of ways. Like, a lo- I guess a lot of people stopped producing, stopped talking. Yeah. Hmm. I know you're out there. Megan Murphy is out there. I Like, I'm subscribed to Megan Murphy. I'll, that's one show I like. Um, yeah, a lot of people have gone, gone silent and I've kind of done the same thing on my own channel the thing is i don't like to to make videos when i don't have anything to say and so a lot of people will say you know make more content it's like but i don't have anything to say right now
1: Hmm. that i'd be willing to say publicly yeah what you have your book
0: Yeah. yeah i just mean um to go back to what we were saying earlier i I really like to have private conversations mm. and it's having a public conversation is really different mm. than having a private conversation and mm-hmm. so um when yeah you need to have yeah podcasts are great, and some people are really open on them, but I'm someone who's more open and private mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. I can kind of tell
0: really <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah the um that that's something that i uh I admire about you uh that you became incredibly public for about sixteen months uh six months really strongly, but probably about a year year and a half i I don't know how long you would you probably know the time uh scale uh Better than I do, having lived through it, um, and making the decision to say okay, I'm done here, uh, kind of like you're like the police like sting you know you're you're standing in front of you, you have this huge crowd you're like uh ah, i I think we did we we made our songs we we did uh our albums it's time to let go and and now you've moved on you uh you' weren't, um you're given the gift of attention, but you use that for what you wanted it for and you've kind of you've gone in a different direction it seems like having unplugged from that
0: yeah i mean a lot of people were like oh she's just gonna make a patreon and and live off of that but i never made a patreon not because i think there's anything wrong with that but uh for the reason that if i don't have anything to say i don't want to have to commit to producing something every week or every other day yeah uh because sometimes I just, I don't want to create content for the sake of creating content. Uh, that's why I never did that. But I did start working with True North. So I did, um, they're a media organization in Canada. And I was doing videos with them. I still do videos sometimes. Right now I'm focusing on the book and have been for a while. But
2: mm-hmm.
0: yeah. So I still am kind of public in that way. Um but taking a journalistic approach, and I think that's that's another reason I went more quiet on social media is because I found that things I wanted to say wouldn't really be becoming for looking at the organization I work for. Hmm. And I found myself not wanting to be too partisan or whatever, not politically, but not to any political party, but just partisan in an ideological way, I guess.
1: Yeah, in the mosh pit. Yeah. Yeah. So and what so, is I kind th- of feel sorry. Yeah.
0: So I kind of feel sorry for like blue checks, because they're always kind of take like blue check journalists. It's like they can never express their own opinion, or else they'll be taken as an as an example of bias, which they are. But mm. I guess it's just it's unfortunate to be in a situation where you can't really express yourself. For fear of you know, your yeah. job.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What is the course of your content uh, now and, and going forward? What what do you want to focus on? What are the issues that or the ideas that are most promising for you? Or the topics, the beat? Um
0: So the issues that I think about our public transportation <laughs> and housing and um, hmm. generational divides and in wealth inequality, that kind of stuff. Immigration in Canada too, because that's connected to the housing crisis. Um, but still free speech. It's just that I think on those issues, um, again, like I would, I could have a lively private conversation about what I feel about those things, but when it comes to the public sphere, I'd need to come probably with more sources to cite. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So you are taking a more studious approach to issues, which, uh, causes you to need to disengage from the, uh, the battle zone in order to to establish kind of a case maybe about like here's some problems with housing here's some solutions here's the data and then the big questions here's like painting a bigger picture kind of thing
0: right and the pandemic too i would say um which i call a scamdemic
1: oh it's a scamdemic not a plan so. yeah
0: uh, yeah i don't necessarily think it's a plannedemic. um I'm not going to close myself off to that completely because you never know. But it's definitely a skeptic.
1: (laughs) There's a lot of fishiness and the way that the, the way that they have effectively shaped the conversation. It's like, uh, there's acceptable, acceptable realm of discourse. And then there's a whole lot of conspiracy theory. And like over here on the, I guess on the right, maybe ish, the right ish or the, uh, uh, liberal in the sense of liberty, the more liberty leaning people, they're kind of like grouped up into kind of conspiracy uh, associations.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, that's honestly, I don't know if other people feel this way. It's hard for me to tell, but Hmm. I almost feel like there's a void in a lot of issues right now. And I almost, I don't know how to define it, but it's almost like, in terms of the public sphere, the discourse of the public sphere, we're in a a valley right now. No, not a peak, but a valley. Hmm. And there's like not much going on. Hmm. I guess you don't feel that way because you talk to people on the daily, on your YouTube channel, or not on the daily, but often. Um, Almost daily. But it seems like not a lot of issues are being brought to the forefront right now. I mean, yeah, there's the the dad who misgendered his daughter and he went to jail. Yeah. But it, yeah, it just seems just like cool. a lot is related to covid right now.
1: Hmm.
0: And hmm.
1: yeah. There's always a lot. There's always a lot. Too much. Um, So it's easy to miss the substance for the froth of uh, issues and stuff. I mean, right now we're uh, watching the trial of the uh, police officer who presided over the death of George Floyd. And I'm meaning everything, all due respect to everything in that situation. That's potentially a powder keg. And the story is mostly how people are... (laughs) gunning for the death of civil liberty in order to exact vengeance um which is what i see a lot of and watching due process hopefully uh hopefully the the trial in and of itself goes along the lines of justice but the response is civil uh to the trial and you know that there's kind of a gun aimed at our country right now with regards to uh, violence, if they don't get exactly what they want um, out of it. So there's a lot of things in tension in the United States because <sighs> that's how we like to be all tense I'm ready to duke it out. Can I ask you one more question? One, one personal question. You can totally, mm-hmm. it out. why are you so peaceful? What, what is the source peaceful? of your peace? Yeah.
0: Um, you seem very
1: calm. What is the source of that?
0: Actually, that's another reason that i uh I don't think I'm destined for success on Twitter is because I'm not a very outraged person. Uh, my reaction is often to just laugh but my my piece um maybe self assurance uh, I don't know I don't know how to answer that
1: okay, sorry. There's no recipe.
0: I think with a lot of things, it's about the way that you're born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're just chill. I'm pretty chill. Yeah.
1: So you got your book, um, your infrequent YouTube channel, uh, your articles, uh, or your column maybe for true North, anything mm-hmm. else on the horizon, I guess, because of the dimmick of whatever, uh, pun you want to put in front of that. Um, kind of your speech free speech activism is stalled out I knew you you were you were either doing things with Megan Murphy or you were about to that got hitched um,
0: uh, there was a talk in 2019
1: okay that okay that, that was
0: I was the moderator she was a speaker that happened not at the original venue because Simon Fraser University canceled but it okay. did happen at a private venue mm-hmm.
1: okay Anything else on the horizon that people can look forward uh, from Lindsay Shepard? After they read your book, of course. Just the book. Just the book. Yeah. Great.
0: Yeah. Otherwise, sometimes I think you just have to be in standby mode. That's how I consider myself sometimes, is just Hmm. standby, paying attention, being curious, looking around. And when you need to mobilize, you can mobilize. Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: The Lindsay Shepherd Army. Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. Thank you for a uh chunk of your morning. Um, mm-hmm. I'll put this up and uh people can see you again. I think we uh the biggest question was about your lawsuits, where they stand, but they're kind of just uh in standstill mode, uh, for I guess a couple of years now. Um but such as time.
0: Yeah, some people have tried to say that uh, there was a settlement, but those are just lies on Twitter.
1: Okay. Yeah, just lies. No settlement. No.
0: No settlement. No.
1: No, you wouldn't. Ne- you would never settle, except on principle.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.